And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with Mark Zakri. We'll take your calls this hour. Mark, tell us about the Space Command box set and how people can get this. Yes. Well, thanks, George. Um, the uh, Essentially, as I mentioned earlier, Space Command is a 12-hour, 12 12-episode 12 season, the first season of Space Command. And we just finished shooting Hour 6. And, uh, and I thought that would be a good time to put out a box set. So it's the first two. And Space Command is structured in two-hour storylines that then tell a larger story over the course of the season. So the box that we're about to launch, uh, a Kickstarter campaign in about two weeks, where people can pre-order, essentially pre-order the box set, as because now we're in post-production on hour six, and it, it consists of the first two hours, it's a story called Redemption, which has Doug Jones, Mira Furlan, Bob Picardo, Bill Mooney, Michael Harney, Bruce Boxleitner. These are all big science fiction names from a lot of different TV shows like Babylon 5 and Star Trek and so forth. And um, the next two-hour episode is called Forgiveness, and again, that has Michelle Nichols in it, who I met when I was 10 years old, and... Uh, and huh. to be able to shoot with Michelle Nichols, this is before we lost her, of course, and to go to her home and film a scene for Space Command with her was just a dream come true. And uh, so that's that's the, another two-hour episode. And then Ripple Effect is the two-hour episode we did during the pandemic where uh, the actors were stuck at home. So we basically had them shoot scenes that we wrote uh, with their own cameras, and we put together an episode that introduced a lot of different characters we're going to meet throughout uh, the season, and including one one actor, one person who agreed to be in it was Neil deGrasse Tyson. So uh, that was great. Oh, cool. Well he's a good fun. guy. Yeah, he's a great guy, and and uh, and so we, he's in it with Armin Shimmerman from Deep Space Nine, and Christina Moses from A Million Little Things, and Barbara Bain from Mission Impossible in Space 1999. She's in that episode. What an honor it was working with her. She's uh, well, I want to work with her again. She's terrific. And then and then you were mentioning comic books earlier. And um, there's the first, I wanted to do a prequel episode that was set 30 years before the first story of, in Space Command, but the actors, I didn't have millions of dollars to de-age them like uh, Lucas or Martin Scorsese, so I thought, well, it'd be very interesting to do a radio play with these actors, introducing their characters, and then combine it with a comic book, a graphic novel, where we, we combine the two into what's called an animatic, it's an animated storyboard, so we've, we've, we're just now releasing the four-issue uh, run of this prequel. It's called United Planet, but then it has a matching radio play. So all of this stuff and the animatic, all of it will be on the box set, plus commentaries and and uh, all sorts of extras. It's going to be just phenomenal. And uh, and uh, there's and in fact, you can even there's going to be one level of perks where you can get the box set with a 3D printed out little figure of our star Ethan McDowell as Captain Jack Hammer and a little. Big figure about eight inches tall of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you've always longed to have a miniature version of Mr. Sci-Fi, uh, your dreams can come true. <laughs> That's classic. You know what's so great about all this, too, Mark? You're having fun. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, when you know, I, I get to write and direct and produce with my wife Elaine. We just celebrated our 46th anniversary. She's still the best part of every day, and to be able to to create Space Command with her is a dream come true. And uh, it's just it's just great. I, I always say to people, every day is Christmas. Uh, it's it's so much fun, and to live in this world of science fiction. It's funny. I went to my elementary school reunion a few, a few months ago. And there were kids I hadn't seen in over 50 years, and I knew all of them, every kid at the reunion. And, and one of them reminded me that when I was eight years old, my stepfather built me my own spaceship. 
and I would get kids in the I would get kids in the neighborhood. It was made out of Air Force surplus parts and all sorts of things. And uh, and I would give kids in the neighborhood tours of the solar system. And then so two of these kids from the elementary school reunion came to my studio and they saw the giant alien spaceship set that we've just built. And they said, "You are exactly the same as you were back then." They said, "You have not. You have you followed. You haven't dream, changed. Followed your dream. You have not changed a bit." And they were so impressed, and it was so gratifying to get that kind of um, recognition from them that. Uh, I'd actually done something worth doing. Well, let's have some fun. Let's get some calls. Let's start with Ron in Michigan on the wild card line. Hey, Ron, go ahead. Hi, George and Mark. Mark, uh, you know, watching the Twilight Zone when they first came out with my parents, it was like uh, one of the most um, fortifying, uh, you know, fulfilling uh, things because you yes. had those strange stories and they were kind of spooky. But if you had your parents around you, you knew you were safe, and it was a it was a wonderful story. But my two favorite stories are they're all favorite stories. Were one is uh, Abraham Lincoln on his death march. What was that? Uh, yes, that's he, the passerby. The passerby. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Roddy, it's a wonderful. Yeah, and, well, go ahead, and Roddy McDowell playing a, a Japanese and an American uh, officer in World War II, which my father was a he was a combat soldier in World War II in the Pacific, and it, yeah. I think it, it brought especially parents. And children uh, closer, you know, especially if your father was a veteran and yeah. uh, you, you could, you know, ask questions of, you know, like when when uh, the Japanese, uh, the, the Twilight Zone guy, uh, the Japanese guy, he was in that yeah. episode with uh, the uh, former uh, combat uh, veteran. They both went crazy and killed each other. You know, there was a lot of death, suicide and and how to handle it and how it was. Yeah. It, it was yeah. uh, it an was amazing show and still yeah, is. Yeah, well, the, the, the episode you were just talking about is The Encounter uh, with George Takei, and it's a great episode and uh, wasn't seen for many, many years. And uh, But Rod, Rod had enormous uh, affinity for other soldiers. You know, he uh, when he turned 40, he actually he, you know went, went up in the air and parachuted again with the, one, you know, with the, uh, the 101st Airborne. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, he would jump out of an airplane into jungles, you know, filled with people trying to kill him and uh, during World War II. And in the Philippines, and so he really felt like one of those guys. His daughters told me that he would wake up uh, sometimes, you know, practically screaming from, and he would, they would always say, "What's going on?" And in his dream, he would be back in the jungle in World War II. He, wow. he, he had, he definitely had PTSD, even though it wasn't called that at the time. But uh, yeah, so a lot of that that real truth came through in Twilight Zone, even though it was a fantasy show. Was there an episode of somebody playing pool, a pool player? Yes, that's a game of pool with uh, Jonathan Winters and Jack Klugman. That's right. Wrote, George Clinton Johnson wrote that one. He, it was, it's a great episode. It's wonderful. And Jonathan Winters, of course, was a comedian, but they gave him a serious yeah. role then, didn't they? Yes, yes. And they did that with a lot of comics. Uh, you know, there's a lot of comedians who are in, in, in Twilight Zone, Shelley Berman and Buster Keaton and Carol Burnett, on and on. And... Uh, but that one, particularly, Jonathan Winters had actually just come out of the uh, the mental ward. He had a nervous breakdown, and they just. But he was just so dedicated to the role and and so into it. He does a great job. And interestingly enough, when George Clayton Johnson wrote that, the, the, what he the actually envisioned to play that role of the heavy set pool player um, was Burl Ives, and he would have been great too. But Jonathan Winters is is unforgettable. So and Jack Klugman, of course was just terrific. He did four oh, times. Was good. Jackie oh Gleason would have been good, too. Yes, yes. Well, Jackie Gleason was in the feature of Requiem for a Heavyweight, so, so Rod certainly knew him. And uh, 
You know, I mean, there's, yeah, they're just, I mean, there, there are many, many people that would have been great to have in the Twilight Zone, but even so, they still got such a, they got the cream of the crop. I mean, even Mickey Rooney. I mean, everyone brought their A-game Twilight Zone. You never see an actor just kind of, you know, slumming or, or walking through it. They're always giving it 100%. And, uh, and, it, and that's one of the reasons why it's memorable. I mean, Burgess Meredith, when I interviewed him, he talked about just it, what, an, what an honor it was to be in, in, Rod's, uh, in Rod's show, you know, and uh, he just he really thought Rod was terrific. What was the episode with Agnes Moorhead? Was she uh, was in, yes. in her house with little uh, yes. aliens running around? Yeah, that was called the Invaders, and uh, those little guys, those little attacking uh, creatures, were uh, hand puppets. Interestingly enough, and my friend Doug Hayes, who directed the episode, he uh, he actually was an artist as well, and he designed those uh, with William Tuttle, the great makeup artist. And uh, and Doug actually worked those puppets. He said, you know, I, I created those little guys. And at the end, you hear one of them say, you know, oh, race of giants, you know, and that was Doug's voice. He said, since I was playing those little guys, I thought I should be the voice as well. I <laughs> so, love uh, Yeah, and but the funny thing was he, he thought of Agnes Moorhead for that because she had been in a radio play called um, uh, Sorry, Wrong Number, and, uh, she, uh, and it was a tour, of course, where she used her voice. And he thought it would be great to have her in, a, in an episode where you don't hear her voice at all. But when he sent her the script to see if she'd do the role – uh, she, like any actress, flipped through the pages to see how many lines she had, and she had no lines. And so she said to Doug, uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this. And Doug explained to her, and then, of course, she said yes. And uh, Richard Matheson wrote that episode, and it's it's just uh, another great one, just really creepy and, and phenomenal. Wasn't she in Bewitched? Yes, she played Elizabeth Montgomery's mother in Bewitched. That's right. Uh, That's what I in thought. Fact, in, in fact, it's funny because she's in Bewitched and Elizabeth Montgomery's in Bewitched and Dick York is in Bewitched, and they were all in the Twilight Zone in different episodes. So, uh, so yeah, and, and that's true of many of the shows that you see uh, in the 60s. You know, um, uh, Leonard Nimoy and, uh, and William Shatner were both in Twilight Zone, not in the same episode. Then they'd be in Star Trek together. All, you'd see these actors, um, you know, all over the place. It was like an ensemble company. Uh, we all grew up with actors who seemed like family because you'd see them on Beverly Hillbillies one week and then Gunsmoke the next. How soon did Shatner play in Star Trek after he did his uh, roles with uh, yeah, Twilight Zone? He did, he, he did his, his roles in Twilight Zone in 1961 and 63, and he was shooting with Star Trek pilot in 65, and it aired in 66. So it was like just a couple years later. And, so so uh, it was probably he, what yeah. got him that role. I'm sure it didn't hurt. I mean, he was so great in Nightmare 20,000 Feet. He had such intensity. And uh, and he was and and of course Star Trek. It's very funny because uh, you know Star Trek has had a huge influence on me. And I've met Shatner various times throughout my life, including the day that I went on the set when I was ten on Star Trek. But uh, I recently went to the uh, Las Vegas Star Trek convention for Space Command, and Shatner was there, and you could pay a hundred bucks to take a photo with him. And uh, I thought, gosh, if, if I'm going to get a chance to get a photo with William Shatner, I better grab it now because he's like ninety-one. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, he's amazing. up there. Yeah, but he's so youthful and so... He's got a lot of energy, a lot of energy. Yeah, it's, it's miraculous. It really is. But uh, so I have the photo of the two of us on my wall now, and uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a proud thing. Let's go to George in St. Louis. It's almost like I'm talking to myself. Hey, George, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's an echo in here. Yeah, hi, Mark. Hi, George. Uh, I, I, hi. I've got three comments, and I can listen to your, your response offline. Uh, sure. First, uh, Rod Serling, he um, he welcomed independent writers 
to uh, submit scripts, yeah. and if, if they were good enough, he, you know, he produced them. Uh, and secondly, Planet of the Apes was first submitted as a script to Twilight Zone before it was turned into a full-length movie. And thirdly, my my fa- for favorite is uh, uh, Twilight Zone was with Virgis Meredith, where he is an avid reader. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah. and he yeah, broke he broke goes, his glasses. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 that's that's the most the biggest absurdity. But I, I'll go off. I'll I'll sure. listen offline. Thank you. You bet. You bet. Thank you, George. Those are great questions. Uh, well, yes, Rod. It's very interesting because when they first started Twilight Zone. Uh, Rod opened the door to uh, submissions, and they got 5,000 submissions. They were able to write 500, and none of them were, were any good, and, and he was at a loss. And so he called Ray Bradbury, and he said, uh, I don't know what to do. Ray said, come over to the house, and uh, he, they went down to the basement where Ray's uh, um, office was, and he pulled out four books, one by Ray himself, one by a British writer named um, – uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but it was, it'll come back to me. And then there were two of his protégés, Richard Matheson and Charles Beaumont. And it was, and he said, read these and then we'll talk. And, and Rod ended up, of course, hiring Ray to write I Sing the Body Electric. George, uh, George Clayton Johnson, another Bradbury protégé, became another one of the great writers of the show. And Matheson and Beaumont were the core writers as well. So these were all uh, protégés. And, and, and Rod brought, bought one short story from the British writer, uh, John Collier, and, uh, and, that was, and they were off and running. But, uh, but yes, Ray, when, when Rod would hear a, a story or come across a story uh, that he thought would make a great Twilight Zone, he'd, he'd buy it. And that's what he did with Time Enough at Last. It was written, it was published in a science fiction magazine, and he came across it, and he bought it, and he wrote the, the teleplay. And, of course, it's, it's Burgess Meredith's great Twilight Zone episode. He did four episodes in all, but that's the, that's the pinnacle. And in terms of Planet of the Apes, it's interesting because you're, it's, it's actually an urban myth that I think I created that Planet of the Apes was originally a Twilight Zone episode. And I'll tell you how that happened. Because actually, Planet of the Apes was a, uh, written by, it was a novel written by Pierre Bull, who also wrote Bridge on the River Kwai. And uh, it's, it's a, an astronaut lands on a planet where monkeys are running things instead of people. And, um, and it actually was a movie that Rod was hired to write the screenplay for after Twilight Zone, and he's credited on that film as the writer. He came up with that great Statue of Liberty shot at the end. But years later, a fan, realizing that Rod had written both Twilight Zone and Planet of the Apes, took Planet of the Apes and re-edited it as a half-hour Twilight Zone episode in black and white with uh, Rod's narration from different Twilight Zone episodes as though it was the narration for that. And it really worked. It worked. It was Yeah, and so what I did was I, I really loved it, and I contacted the, the guy who had done this, and I said, would it be okay if I wrote a fake Twilight Zone chapter explaining how this episode of Twilight Zone, uh, no one ever saw it, and, and it was ultimately uh, enlarged into the movie? And he said, sure. So I wrote that as a, uh, as a fake chapter of the Twilight Zone Companion and put it on the Internet, and it started to spread. People thought it was real, so I had to take it down. Now, now if you buy the new edition of the Twilight Zone Companion, there's actually a link to that, that bogus chapter. But so it was like, you know, so my I was I was the victim of my own uh, my my own uh, causation, you know. But it was uh, but but certainly, Planet of the Apes has a very strong Twilight Zone feel. And it's interesting they they just came out with a graphic novel of Rod Serling's original script. 
for the Twilight Zone where they adapted it, uh, for Planet of the Apes where they adapted it into a graphic novel because there's a lot of differences from the movie. And uh, it's quite wonderful. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, classic. Let's go to Pat in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Pat, go ahead. Hi. Hi there. It's just fantastic to uh, be hearing two men who are obviously having fun at what you're doing. Yes. It makes it fun for me. And um, I'm just bringing up... Uh, how I've used the Twilight Zone so often for a course, a seminar. I've been teaching for over 20 years. Oh, really cool. Eighth graders, um, wow. and I call it, what does it mean to be human in an increasingly technological society? So I'm kind of going from, they've gone from STEM to STEAM, and I add another E, like E squared for ethics. Wow. And there's so wow. many Twilight Zones that get into this. So just as yeah. an example, with one specific episode, we start talking about face transplants. That's how I get the kids involved. We're picturing eighth graders. and. Yes. Think about, like, why would anybody do that? Why would they take that risk? Because you can live with a face that doesn't look normal. So why would you take yeah. that risk? And, of course, it gets into the idea of to feel more human. So we keep building yeah. with that. We do the history of how plastic surgery started with World War yeah. One soldiers trying to make them look normal. and. Yeah. If that could make people look normal, then people began to think, well, you know, I'm already normal. Maybe yeah. it could enhance me. So we get into all that. But one of the episodes that uh, is just great for kids is uh, number 22 looks just like you. Yes. And yes. that brings up so much. And I've had students years later say, gee, Mrs. P, um, we used to just think you were the crazy Twilight Zone lady. But this <laughs> stuff is happening. It's real. <laughs> yes. It's yes. real, and yes. they, one of them became a guidance counselor and has wow. used that uh, because it, it can bring up so much discussions, even if you're not trying to do the science and technology bit as I am. So uh, yeah. just fantastic show that's still holding up. I grew up on Twilight Zone and Star Trek and Outer Limits and all wow. that. So wow. I just wanted yeah. you to know there's still my little, my little ones that I'm sending that's out. That's great. That still but, but, you can see how, but you can see how these stories really still work, still hook people. I mean that that episode is about a you know a world where people have to get plastic surgery to look perfect, and and a, a young woman who doesn't want that to want to do it, and it, it's it's a very powerful episode. It was uh, uh, written by Charles Beaumont and John Tomerlin, based on a short story by Beaumont called The Beautiful People, and it's so current. I mean, with all the plastic surgery and everything we have now, and so you know computers, robots, plastic surgery. I mean, Rod and the other writers were so far ahead of their time. They really, really. We're visionaries. It's classic. Mark, we're going to come back and take final calls with you in a moment on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie back with Mark Zakri, our final segment. Mark, who was the actor who played Bartlett Finchley in The Thing About Machines in The Twilight Zone? Yes, that was that's such a great episode. And it's funny, again, because people come up with uh, each, each person has a different favorite episode. And that was... Uh, uh, one more. Okay, hold on. Every now and then, George, I have to look my own book up. <laughs> <laughs> you mean we finally stumped you? You finally did. Yes, that's that's Richard Hayden. Richard Hayden. And uh, it's funny because uh, you know there's 156 episodes, and they're pretty well hardwired into my brain. But every now and then, kind of like you know. There's a little bit of a jitter in the the, the, the the record skips. But Richard Hayden was perfect for that episode of Bartlett Finchley. It was an episode by Rod Sterling, 
and it's where he hates machines and they turn against him. And uh, and the, I, I still remember that thing of the electric shaver coming down the stairs like a like a snake. It's really uh, a, I mean, so many of these episodes, even the ones that aren't the the A list episodes, they're so entertaining and so fun, you know. And uh, and so I, I you know I think I don't think there's a single episode of Twilight Zone that isn't worth watching, you know, because you're you're going to get entertainment, you're going to get value out of it. And how many of those shows ended up turning into real life? Well, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's there's a uh, there's there's episodes. Well, they're they're also commenting. I mean, it's funny because every now and then Sterling would veer into something like Fidel Castro or Khrushchev or something of its time. And, but but a lot of the stuff is very predictive, and 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 some of them are just no matter what year it is, they're timely. Monsters of Dwan Maple Street is one of those. It deals with with mass hysteria. And whatever the issue of the day is with people going off the deep end, that episode, you know, that should be shown in every school, I think, in every classroom. Uh, it's, it's so important to say, you know, when, when others around you are losing their heads, keep yours, you know, and uh, don't give in to fear. Don't give in to hysteria. It's, it's a brilliant episode by Rod Sterling. First time caller, Kyle's with us in Louisville, Kentucky. Kyle, thank you. Go ahead. Hey, George. Uh... I just wanted to bring up two uh, Twilight Zone episodes. I sure. One, I wish I could remember the name. One's where uh, the power goes out and then everybody starts to turn against each other. And at the very end, you see the alien saying that's all they need to do. To mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's, that's the monsters are due on Maple Street, the one we were just talking about. And it was shot on the back lot at MGM. And uh, it's wonderful. It's got Claude Aikens in it. It's a wonderful ensemble of actors, Barry Atwater, and uh, and the aliens at the end are wearing uniforms from uh, Forbidden Planet, the great 1950s science fiction movie that MGM made, and the spaceship that they leave in is again that great flying saucer from Forbidden Planet. But uh, but it's it's you know the whole idea of like simple trips, tricks to scare people and to make them turn against each other rather than see the the, the real enemy, and uh, it's it's a it's a brilliant episode. It's it's phenomenal. What's the other episode, Kyle? Yeah, my next my, my next one would be uh, the two weapons scientists who know right at the peak of the Cold War, they know uh, things are about to get hot, and they leave the planet to travel to a different planet, and, but they end up just uh, arriving on Earth. Yes, that's uh, that third from the sun. Uh, it stars Fritz Weaver and Joe Moras, and uh, it's uh, it, it's a great episode, and uh, it was based on a short story by Richard Matheson and, and with a script by Sterling. First season episode and uh, creepy and fun. It was directed by Richard Bear, who uh, directed every episode of Green Acres. Interestingly enough, and when I interviewed him, I said, "What was the biggest challenge of directing Green Acres?" And he said, "Staying awake." <laughs> so, but he didn't say that about Twilight Zone. He directed some terrific episodes, and he lived to be a hundred, so he uh, he had a good long run. Of course, one of the classics to serve man. Yes, my gosh, that's such a great episode. And that was written by one of my teachers. The The short story was uh, written by Damon Knight, one of the great science fiction writers. And uh, and he wrote it when he was in a really bad mood because his wife was out with another man. And so he wrote that very dark story from that experience. And Rod read the story and bought it to Twilight Zone. And, of course, it's one of the great. One of the classics. Did Glenn Ford ever appear in any Twilight Zone episodes? No, no, but but Rod knew everybody. I mean, I, you know, he at very at one point he was president of the Television Academy. 
he was he definitely you know knew everyone and 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 sometimes he might write a feature that that one of these guys would be in or you know so forth. He was friends with Charlton Heston, even though they were ultimately on very different ends of the of the spectrum politically. Uh, Heston was of course conservative and Rod was very liberal, but uh, but they still could be friends and and work together on plans and uh, and you know it was it was a real Hollywood community. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, like today, people tend to know each other. They cross paths a lot, and uh, and Rod was very gregarious. He was a, he was you know, he was a charming fellow. I mean, he was enormously likable. I never heard anyone say a bad word about him. And you know, he he wasn't a Hollywood slimeball by any stretch of the imagination. He was a warm-hearted, good sure. person. And uh, Burgess Meredith said, like 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 all good writers, he listened more than he talked. So that was uh, that was very. What about the actor Rod Taylor? Was he ever in a Twilight Zone episode? He was. Yes, he was. He was in one called "And When the Sky Was Opened," which was based on a short story by Matheson called "Disappearing Act." It's about an astronaut, a group of astronauts who come back to Earth, and one by one they disappear, and no one remembers them. And uh, like something in space didn't want them to come back. And it was directed again by Doug Hayes, who did "Eye of the Beholder" and so many great episodes. And uh, uh, and it was and Rod Taylor at the same time he was also shooting uh, the Time Machine at MGM so he was on the lot and uh, and this was a, a few years before he did the Birds with uh, with Veronica Cartwright and Teddy Hansen of course and uh, he but he was a wonderful actor and uh, he turned in some great performances. Charles in Arkansas, go ahead, Charles. Oh yes, uh, I won't take much time. That's okay. But, um, uh, I've been thinking really heavily on uh, bringing back a series of movies that are very uh, um, informative to the public mm-hmm. and teaching people. Um, when they come out of the movie, they will feel so refreshed. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know this name, James Dean. Yeah. We can have another James Dean come forward with his portraits. And no racing, no no funny business, no fights. It's reality. We're going to bring Jay Leno into this with some of his vehicles, but it's mainly it's a um, information uh, series that may bring the public to an awareness that they uh, haven't never experienced. A lot of young people. Will when when are you going to do this, yet. Charles? When do you think you're going to do this? Well, I'm waiting for a car right now to uh, get started, um, it, like James Dean had. That they, it's a replica. But what I'm uh, wanting Mark to think of, and of course, your program is this way in reality every day. Uh, movies that people don't know whether it's a movie or reality. Right. Because I, I'm a watcher. Mm. I'm watching what's going on on this planet with my friends and uh, law enforcement and the wars and you name it. Uh, Anyhow, I'm going to try to contact Jay and bring him up to date on uh, the reality of what we can teach people through uh, a series of movies. Would that work, Mark? What do you think? Well, you know, the lovely thing is that you know it takes someone with a, with a, a fresh idea, and and you come with it with enthusiasm and commitment, and, and amazing things can happen. I mean, you mentioned James Dean a minute ago. 
you know, the reason we even know who James Dean is is because he works in this wonderful medium of, of, of film. And, and Rod Sterling actually wrote a live TV show with, uh, with James Dean starring in it. It was called A Long Time Till Dawn. And, uh, you know, we work in this medium of film and TV where people remember us. It, it, it lasts. It's not like a stage performance. And uh, so I, I think all of us who work in this, in this medium are very, very grateful to have worked. That, I mean, I, I wrote things in my early 20s that people still love. People, people are still talking about. That's, that's very, you get a feeling that you are, you've actually accomplished something. And so, so good luck. I hope it, I hope it all goes well. I, people need, need uh, things that make them feel better. People need things that, uh, that uplift them. And, uh, and we are living in amazing times. I mean, the congressional hearings on UFOs, I mean, my gosh. It's uh, amazing, really amazing. Oh, I wish we could get more information out of them, but uh, yeah. at least it's yeah. happening. I want to. I want to see what those non-human biologicals were. You know, and yeah. the craft. You know, yeah. It's like, come on, guys, open the vault. But uh, it's, uh, but yeah, we live in an amazing time, and uh, and it's great to be. It's great to share enthusiasms with the, with the world and uh, and have them benefit from it. It's, it's, we're, we're blessed. All of us are blessed. Charles, keep us updated on your project. Sean is with us next in the state of Washington. Hey, Sean, go ahead. Hi, George uh, and Mark. Hi. This is Hi. great to talk to you guys. Um, I was I was born in 1968, and uh, but my first memories of TV was definitely the Twilight Zone. Then, then uh, uh, you know the uh, the. I, they would just rerun it over and over and over, and yeah. I saw every episode so many times, and yes. and it's such good moral uh, teachings for us all, especially even in yeah. the future. And one thing that George uh, keeps bringing up was to serve man. Yes, <laughs> classic. That series is what nobody I've met. I've probably uh, listened to ninety-five percent of every. George Norrie's show, and I'm telling you, no one's ever said his name was George was Norrie, not George, but Norrie, and they said, they would yell out, Mr. Norrie, Mr. Norrie, it's a cookbook. <laughs> Run! Right, George? That's a classic, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, that, it's so great, that's such a great, I mean, Rod would often say that if he knew what the ending of a story was, he could write it. You know, he, he he had a lot of stories that were beginnings and middles, but without the ending, he couldn't he couldn't do it. And to serve man, of course, has such a great capper. That's such a great moment when she rushes up. And the aliens are so creepy. And Lloyd Bachner is great in the lead of that episode. It's it's uh, you know it's a classic. What version. do they call what do they call the aliens in that? The Kemenites the, or something? The the Canamites. which is sort of a play on cannibal. And, uh, but it's, uh, yeah, they're creepy. They're creepy. And they were all played by one actor, Richard Keel, who later played the character Jaws in the James Bond movies with Roger Moore. And, uh, and it was a really great makeup. And, uh, he was like, you know, enormously tall, over seven feet. And, uh, it worked. It really worked. What day and time did the Twilight Zone air on television? It was on at 10 at night on, um, Fridays. And uh, it was uh, it was a hit. You know, people loved it. Kids loved it. Adults loved it. But it was on later. His, Rod didn't allow his own daughters to watch the show. And 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 Anne, when she was little, once snuck downstairs and peered through the banister. And uh, and her parents were watching Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, and she was horrified. She thought, "This is what my daddy does." <laughs> you know. So, but uh, but when they were a little older, they were you know welcomed into the fold. But. Uh, 
But Twilight Zone was popular from the beginning. It was, uh, and there's, there's some people have the theory that the whole hippie generation were the kids who grew up watching Twilight Zone because the message was reality is not what you think it might be. And uh, so those kids, I think, were, were very open to alternatives uh, thanks to Twilight Zone. And, and Rod was not a snob. You know, he, was, he wasn't a hippie by any means, but his daughter sort of was, uh, Jody. Yeah. And uh, she, took, she took him to see Easy Rider because she thought it was this great movie, and he just didn't get it. Just, you know, <laughs> he, was different gen- he was from a different generation, and, uh, but he was very open to other people having different opinions. He was, he was just a dear man, you know, and uh, we're really, you know, the, the world is less for having him not be in it now. Mark, we only have about two minutes left. Take the time to tell folks how they can get a hold of you, how they can participate yep. in Space Command. Yep. Uh, well, there's a, a, I think on the Coast to Coast site, there's a link to where you can sign up to be informed about the campaign when we launch it for the box set. And uh, if you go to uh, YouTube, Mr. Sci-Fi, uh, M-R-S-C-I hyphen F-I, Mr. Sci-Fi, and you can subscribe. And that's where you'll learn about everything I'm doing. And you can watch the first two hours of Space Command. And uh, you know, and uh, if you want to, you know, contribute, <laughs> you're welcome to. Space Command shares are still available, and uh, and it's really fun to share this uh, vision with the world. I, I'm having the time of my life, and certainly George, you're a big part of it. And we've been on this journey for many years together, and and we're kindred spirits. More to come. And how do people get the book Green Lighting Yourself? Amazon.com. It's available where all the books are sold. That's the place. And your other books are still available, too, aren't they? Yep. yep. The, the new edition of the Twilight Zone Companion just came out. I updated it. I added a, an extra 100 pages, 500 new photographs, links to audio and video. They can get that on Amazon, too. It's the third edition. Make sure you get the third edition. The other classic was Little Girl Lost. Remember that one? Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. It's where, where she falls through a hole in dimensions. Richard where are you, Daddy? That. Where are you, Daddy? Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep, it's it's a it's a great one. It's a great one. It's one of the classics. Mark, you take care of yourself. Let us know if you need anything, all right? Thank you, George. It's great it's great to talk with you as always. Mark's website linked up at coasttocoastam.com. He's a great, great guest. On our next Coast to Coast program, John Hogue joins us. We'll be talking about the prophecies of Nostradamus and then some spooky things a little bit later on in the program on Coast to Coast as we get rolling here into Tuesday already, October third. Wow. For Dan Galanti, Tom Danheiser, Lisa Lyon, Lex Lonehood, Sean Ladasur, Stephanie Smith, Chris Boros, Tim Benal, George Knapp, and Ian Punnett. I'm George Norrie somewhere out there on Coast to Coast AM. We'll see you on our next edition. Until then, be safe, everyone.